0: Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com.
1: Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for tuning in here with me today. It is Tuesday, April the 28th. Got a good show lined up. you here, here for the day. The province is doubling funding for family caregivers of British Columbia, bringing the total to one million dollars. That money is set to support both caregivers and seniors. It will allow uh, family caregivers to enhance services during the COVID-19 pandemic, so caregivers get the increased support they need to help seniors remain at home. That would include things like expanded toll-free support line hours, emotional supports, and healthcare navigation. So, BC Senior Advocate Isabel McKenzie will join me to kick off the back half of the show to get into. Into a little bit more detail on all of that. And to end things off, well, today marks the national day of mourning for workers killed and injured in the workplace, and leaders from across the country are uh, chiming in a little bit on that. That includes Premier John Horgan, who says in his annual message that 140 work-related deaths and many more injuries happened in B.C. last year. I will be joined with the by the president of the B.C. Federation of Labor to talk more about that to end off today's program. But to begin today's show, well, I'm taking a look back to yesterday's sd 73 board meeting and I'm joined on the phone now by chair of the board Kathleen Carpa. Kathleen how you doing? I'm good thank you. Good. Um, I just wanted to, to start by getting just a, a general you know update from you on just how the board is feeling about the way teaching and learning is currently going in district 73. I mean do you feel like there has been some significant improvements I guess over the past number of weeks to how that process is working? I mean just confident I guess that everything is kind of Obviously, there, there's still a lot of um, issues that are going on in terms of like, switching to this virtual model. But, you know, are you getting comfortable with, with how things are potentially smoothing out, I guess, at this point in time?
2: I think we're definitely getting better at it. Um, the speed that we had to roll things out meant that uh, obviously wasn't perfect uh, when we started. But I think everyone's adapting to the new platform, and uh, we're seeing improvements constantly.
1: Perfect. Now, uh, there are a couple of different things to go over in regards to what happened at yesterday's meeting. And the first one I wanted to touch on was just with graduation ceremonies. There was a number of, um, you know, a a couple of things that were standing out to me in terms of, you know, 14 graduation events, which are scheduled to start here uh, later next month. Uh, So where, where are where is the board in terms of making arrangements for those graduation ceremonies, which are clearly going to look a lot different than they normally would?
2: Yes, they are going to look a lot different, and the first thing that I want to reassure people with is that we are not going to cancel graduation. It's going to look different, but we're not going to cancel graduation. And right now we're working with a few different scenarios, um, and uh, we're probably going to have some type of a small-scale virtual graduation. Um, Details will be coming out to people as we sort of hammer them out. Each school is going to be working on their own plan uh, with the help of the district. And we are going to try to find a way to recognize each graduate so that their family can see their, uh, their accomplishments because that's important to recognize. Uh, students have worked really hard and uh, they deserve to have that recognition and that, that experience, even if it is scaled back a bit.
1: So, I mean, just uh, from that, are you looking to have some sort of actual physical ceremony still, just on a really small scale, or, or do you have any idea what it looks like at this point in time, or are you guys still sort of working through all of that?
2: We're still working through that, and uh, once we get details hammered out, we will let people know.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Um, I wanted to ask too, just uh, in a general sense too, about uh, plans to resume school. I don't think there's really any plan to do that. And the only reason I want to ask is because uh, Quebec has made the announcement uh, here earlier this week that they're planning to open daycares and elementary schools on May 11th-ish. Yesterday, Dr. Bonnie Henry said that, you know, we could see some students back in school before the end of the session with that focus being on those younger kids who can't stay home when parents do start going back to work. Uh, So I just wanted to know where the school is in sort of making those types of of arrangements, knowing that there is absolutely no date in mind, but with uh, if something were to be announced, how confident are you that things could start up fairly quickly?
2: We are working on multiple scenarios. Um, It depends, of course, on uh, public health officers' orders and uh, whether or not we're able to uh, meet in smaller groups or if we are still having to do the social distancing. Um, But we're working on multiple scenarios. We know that it Sometime students will be back in the schools, we just don't know exactly what that's going to look like, Uh, so we're trying to plan for as many different scenarios as we can.
1: Okay. And and that makes a lot of sense. Like I said, I, I just wanted to ask because I know that the questions are starting to be put out there into the universe. So I figured it was worth throwing at you while I had you here. Um, but I understand that there is no real timeline in place for when that could happen. But with that being said, uh, we talked a little bit about this last time uh, you and I spoke was just the essential service schools, right? The um, daycare arrangements essentially that are being made for people who are deemed essential services and do need to go to work and do need some form of childcare. Uh, when we talked a couple of weeks ago, you know, arrangements have had been made for that first tier of people those being uh, you know first res- uh, first responders I believe no that's tier two sorry healthcare workers were tier one uh, so where are you with uh, with sort of rolling that out I know tier two is first responders and tier three was city workers um, you know where where are you in that process of trying to, to line up uh, those services for those people who are in need right now
2: Right now, we're focusing on our vulnerable learners, those students that are most affected by not being able to be at school. And so that's our next group that we're working on, so that's going to be students with special needs, uh, students with learning challenges, students who just really, really need to be in school in order to do well. And uh, so that's our next focus.
1: One of the other things, too, uh, going back to to the board meeting specifically last night and and seemed like one of the major topics of discussion was this foundation skills assessment. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff to go over here. It's uh, for grades four to seven students when it comes to reading, writing, and numeracy skills. Um, you know, basically comparing students in SD73 to the rest of the province. And from what I'm seeing, it looks like, uh, you know, people in the Kamloops-Thompson region are, are doing pretty well, right? It looks like our students are having a pretty high success rate. Can you just speak to the F? FSA here and and sort of how you uh, feel about the way that learners in the Kamloops-Thompson region are doing compared to uh, the rest of uh, BC?
2: Um, Our FSA results continue to be very strong. Uh, We are ahead of the province in many areas, especially in reading and writing. Uh, We are seeing that our Aboriginal students are catching up to our non-Aboriginal students and we're getting closer to reaching parity. In fact, uh, we are almost at parity in writing, uh, so that's very, very encouraging. Uh, We do need to do some more work on numeracy, but that's not just a challenge in our district. It's a challenge across the province.
1: Why do you think that is such a challenge? I mean, we talked about numeracy way back in uh, at least three three months ago. I want to say when we were kind of having a, a conversation just around what numeracy actually is, and it's sort of I don't want to say it's a new concept, but it's not something that I remember ever really being discussed when when talking about education. Um, you know, we think about math, but this is not math, right? Numeracy is not just math; it's not just numbers. Do you think that that because it's almost sort of a, a bit of a newer concept, I guess, into how we're um, looking at at success in the school? system that uh, maybe that's why it's taking a little bit longer to uh, you know see some success in in that specific um, that skill set
2: that is one of the reasons that we do think that the numbers in literacy are sorry in numeracy are lower Um, it is a newer concept we've talked about literacy for decades we've only been talking about numeracy for a few years and again numeracy isn't just knowing your math facts Numeracy is the critical thinking and creativity skills that allow you to figure out what are the important parts of a problem are and how you might go around solving it. So it's your budgeting, it's time management, and um, all of those very complex um, things that we do that really take a lot of uh, thought and uh, it's something that's, that's new and uh, it's something that we're all learning to uh, figure out as we go along.
1: Um, and and t- while I have you, Kathleen, too, the, the school board put out a, a release here earlier today just looking at uh, the 2020-2021 budget, uh, looking at um, the, the total budget expected to be around $188 million, just over. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. Um, you know, you talk a little bit about here uh, continuing to focus on equity outcomes of all students throughout this budget. Uh, what exactly do you mean by that?
2: Yeah, so when we're talking about equity for um, students, we're talking about making sure that every student has the supports that they need in order to fully succeed and realizing that some students are going to need more supports than others. So with the pandemic, that's uh, really going to mean that we need to focus on some of the social-emotional needs of students. We know that there's going to be some increased vulnerability of students, so we've put some money into that. Uh, We know we need to put uh, more support into technology infrastructure because of the online nature of some of the things that we're currently doing right now Uh, we've got students who don't have access to internet or to equipment and technology and we need to find a way around that and how to support them and the teachers who are trying to work with these students. So we have one of our uh, projects is the equity project that we have for Aboriginal learners where we're methodically going through all of our structures and policies in the district to make sure that there's not unconscious and overt bias in what we do that might disencourage dis- our um any of our students, and not just looking at Aboriginal students, but students with special needs and and looking at what are those things that might be roadblocks to student success and removing those.
1: Um, and, and just because you had brought it up there, just in some concerns around connectivity, um, I know there has been some talk, uh, you know, about places, more rural places here in our region, just uh, in terms of the ability to have Internet access. And, uh, you know, obviously, as we live in this virtual time and there's all this virtual learning going on, very important for people to be connected and have that Internet access. Um, you know, where is is everyone now sort of up and running when it comes to being able to do that learning at home? Uh, what, what sorts of arrangements were made for kids who uh, didn't have internet access uh, or, or at least had very minimal internet access and something that's very needed right now at this point in time.
2: So realizing that not everyone has access to technology or internet, we have provided alternate methods for students to learn, that's paper-based programming, um, using books, uh, going back to the old-fashioned sort of almost correspondence model, but making sure that there's contact through telephone and uh, just trying to support those students as best we can, realizing that there are technological gaps
1: fantastic well thank you so much for your time kathleen always appreciate it and uh we'll get together again and do this uh next next meeting thanks so much super thank you awesome well really appreciate you doing that kathleen uh, yeah that's the chair of the camloops thompson school board right there so uh let's take a quick break here and i'll be back chatting with here BC bc's senior advocate about family caregivers so stay tuned and the jeff andrea show will be right back <laughs>
0: The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas.
1: Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks for being with me here on Radio NL. It is Tuesday. The province is doubling funding for family caregivers of British Columbia this year, bringing the total to $1 million, and that money will support both caregivers and seniors. It will allow family caregivers to enhance services during this pandemic so that they can get increased support that they need to help seniors remain at home. That would include things like expanded toll-free support line hours, emotional supports, as well as navigating health care. I am joined on the phone now by BC Senior Advocate Isabel McKenzie. Isabel, thank you so much
0: for taking the time.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. So as part of British Columbia's uh, response to COVID-19, it's doubling this year's funding for family caregivers of B.C. to a million dollars, helping support both caregivers as well as seniors. I guess just uh, initial thoughts on that change. I mean, is that enough, do you think, uh, you know, to help respond to this, the the number of issues that uh, that, of course, are being attended to by our, our family caregivers in this province?
0: Well I think this money is dedicated to increasing capacity on the helpline for the family caregivers of BC and allowing them to develop uh, more in their virtual toolkit to have outreach to family caregivers in BC. Part of the challenge Jeff is that where we want to see meaningful change for family caregivers around providing relief for them from their caregiving duties is very very challenging during COVID because uh, we have closed adult day programs for now. How long they will be closed, we don't know. When it's safe to do so, they will be reopened. But we've done that in uh, response to public health measures that are necessary. And also, just some of the physical interactions that would support uh, family caregivers are not going to be as possible in the foreseeable future. And so, what it means is the kinds of supports now that we can give family caregivers are going to shift a bit um, and we're going to be able to help family caregivers know that they're not alone, connect them with other people to whom they can um, share, with whom they can share this burden of family caregiving and hope that that brings some comfort to them. It's not going to bring the the real relief, Jeff, that the family caregivers of this province need, but we can't do that right now. Uh, given the public health measures that are necessary. And this is uh, uh, the least that we can do to let them know that they're not alone let them know that there is a listening ear of a fellow family caregiver out there and hopefully by sharing the burdens of this journey we can lighten their load just a little bit. So
1: what are are you hearing I guess from from caregivers who are you know taking part in in, um, you know helping seniors visiting them at their homes I mean what sorts of of big concerns are you hearing from them uh, you know as we go through this pandemic I mean there's a number of different potential issues on the table I guess what are some of the more common themes that you're hearing?
0: Well In the beginning, the uh, challenges were not as evident. So when I can't send my spouse or my mom and dad to the adult day program I used to be able to send them to for a couple of days of the week, uh, doesn't look as bad in week one, week two, but time has marched on and it's clear time will continue to march on. And we're not going to see those uh, reliefs uh, the way that we did in the past and so it's building, the pressures are building, and the stress is building, and I know that a number of families have chosen to reduce or eliminate in-home respite that they received in order to reduce the number of people coming into the home of their loved one, understandably so, but that is also going to increase pressure, so duties and tasks that used to be done by a healthcare worker are now being done by families and that's going to increase the stress and pressure as especially as time goes on you know we we are only into this um, pandemic and public health emergency Uh, we're only about i think six or seven weeks into it and so as we look at how things are going to unfold in the weeks and months ahead we realize that we really have to pay attention to where pressures are going to build. And I think one area where pressures are going to build is the pressure on the family caregivers.
1: Um, with- just in response to what, what impact it's having, I guess, on seniors, I mean, we talk a lot um, at, like, you know, the daily pr- provincial press briefings about the number of concerns that are going on with long-term care, uh, and when it comes to people who are, you know, living at their homes and, um, you know, are able to to be at home alone and, and take care of themselves for at least, you know, a, a, a portion of their days, what sorts of major concerns exist out there for, for those people here in British Columbia? I mean, they're they're safe in the sense that they're isolated, but, uh, you know, there must be a lot lot of concern out there. I mean, you you mentioned that a lot of people have canceled their in-home care and, uh, you know, family members are the ones taking up the brunt of it now. I mean, what what sorts of uh, issues can arise for seniors in this province, you know, as they're seeing, you know, it's good that they're seeing their family potentially more, but they're they're probably seeing less help, I would think, uh, just uh, from an overall standpoint.
0: Well, I think there's sort of, there's two buckets, if you will. So there's the family caregivers, and those can be spouses, uh, adult children, often living with the senior, and what they're going to be experiencing is an increase in stress, uh, an increase in exhaustion as the caregiving duties fall more to them perhaps than they have in the past because the help coming in is being reduced and also the other supports available have have been reduced and so as time goes on that senior and their loved one may start to experience some tensions in their relationship that might not normally have been there, but hopefully with uh, some support from the Family Caregivers Helpline, family caregivers and the people they're providing the care for can find the kind of um, path through this that they need to find. But then there's the other bucket which is the seniors who don't have a family caregiver, they actually, their what we call their personal care needs, they're able to meet for the most part or their care is still coming into the home. But they are more isolated than they would otherwise be because they can't get out to the senior center, they are not being encouraged to go grocery shopping and to do the kinds of activities where they would engage with people. And that's where the Safe Seniors Strong Communities Program, which was formed by an all-party committee of the legislature, actually all, all three political parties um, united to come up with this plan that would leverage this uh, significant, significant outpouring of support by British Columbians for seniors. How can I help? How can I help seniors? And they want to volunteer. So we're matching those folks with seniors who need some help with groceries, uh, medications, uh, meals, and just some virtual friendly visits. And um, what we were also reporting on Sunday in addition to the increased supports for the family caregivers of BC. We were also updating folks on the Safe Senior Strong Communities plan, which has pro- program, pardon me, which has been in place for just about a month, a little under about, yeah, about a month. And um, you know, there's been over 21,000 services provided. so I think it's about twelve thousand two hundred. Seniors have received uh, uh, virtual visits. Um, uh, there's been about 2,900 grocery deliveries, 2,700 meals. Uh, over 5,500 uh, British Columbians have volunteered. I mean, it's just been—it's been great. It's never enough. Um, certainly, I know the members of the legislative committee, the all-party committee that's overseeing this, are certainly concerned about. The seniors in rural British Columbia. How are they connecting? How are we sure they're getting um, through on this 211 line, which is basically anybody in the province who wants to volunteer or or a senior who needs help can call 211, and they'll be connected, and help will be on its way. But, you know, we want to make sure everybody knows about it and and we know who we're reaching, but you're never sure who you're not reaching. And uh, so obviously, we need to just continue to focus on a population where it is incredibly important for them to stay home right now in order to stay safe. Covid nineteen uh, is is very, very serious for older populations. Um, And time is clearly uh, marching on and it's obvious that we have uh, some more weeks of this ahead of us if not months and we need to ensure that people get not just the goods they need but the social connections, the human connections that they need. Seniors are much more likely to live alone than the rest of us and that in and of itself makes it uh, a harder burden to bear.
1: And uh, just uh, to, to follow up on that, uh, I did an interview here earlier this week with Angus Reid. They had just put out a survey here talking just about, you know, how people's mental health has changed or, or differed, uh, you know, over the course of these past uh, five, six weeks as the pandemic has really been in full swing. And, uh, you know, I'm just wondering from your perspective, what is your concern right now just for the mental well-being of our seniors in this province? You mentioned that there's been some pretty good response in terms of volunteers taking up the heat to, to go on those virtual visits. And and do some volunteer work in terms of getting groceries and things like that, um, but obviously that's not helping everyone at this point, right? You mentioned you know it's all great, but it's never enough. Uh, just what what are your worries right now? Um, you know about the the mental well being of our seniors in BC, and um, you know as we go deeper and deeper into this, I imagine there those concerns will only strengthen.
0: I'm worried because they're first of all uh, feeling very. Uh, isolated and they are feeling very alone and probably a little bit frightened because of this um, particular virus and it may make some people uh, more aware of the vulnerability that they have Uh, and I think that 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 could have a long term and if we are not careful negative pervasive effect and I think what is really important is the community rallying, if you will, around? Uh, we need to do better for seniors. We, uh, a, a, a sort of a an understanding that this has revealed some shortcomings in our uh, care system. It has revealed, obviously, the potential a greater potential for isolation that seniors have, not just because they're more likely to live alone, they're also less likely to be as technologically connected right now mm-hmm. as other people. Many are, many are, but on balance, they're less likely to be technologically uh, connected. And they uh, are therefore feeling more dependent on other people and that is for some people not a good feeling. We we want to be independent, most of us. We, we want to chart our own uh, course and do things for ourselves and the ability to do things uh, for ourselves is a little bit more limited right now because even if you're a hale and hearty 85 or 90 year old who hops in the car and drives to costco every week and you know does all these you know goes to the rec center swimming every morning you still have a 90 year old immune system and a 90 year old pair of lungs and you really really have to be careful because this virus will it will potentially be much more serious for you so we're encouraging everybody uh, obviously to stay home and stay safe but for Old, for the older population, for the older seniors, we're saying even for essentials, try and get somebody else to do it for you mm-hmm. for right now.
1: Well, thank you so much, Isabel, for your time. I really do appreciate it. Always enjoy uh, having these chats with you, and um, uh, we'll, we'll definitely do it again in the future.
0: Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so much, Jeff.
1: That was BC Senior Advocate, Isabel McKenzie, and I just wanted to briefly double back on what she was saying when it comes to volunteers. So last month, the province agreed to expand the two one one phone line for community services to match seniors who need help coping with the strains of COVID-19, uh, isolation, and, and all the stuff that comes with that. Well, McKenzie had said that since then, about 5,500 volunteers have made grocery deliveries, conducted virtual visits, and delivered meals. One piece of data I saw said that there were 12,193 virtual visits conducted. So I'm sure that many of there are listening and could afford to spend 10 or 15 minutes on a video call with someone to try and brighten up their day. Doesn't sound like it would take that long or a lot of effort, but I think it has a chance to uh, really, really help some people out out there. So I just wanted to throw that out in the universe and see if we can get more volunteers out there performing those small yet very meaningful tasks. Well, let's take a quick break and I'll be back with more Jeff Andrea show. And we're going to take a look at today being the national day of mourning. So stick around and I'll be right back.
0: Your opinion
1: Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show. Thanks for being with me here on Tuesday. Across Canada, April 28th has been designated the day of mourning. And on this day, workers, you know, families, employers, communities across B.C. come together to remember those workers who have lost their lives on the job, as well as to help renew that commitment to creating healthy and safe workplaces, which, of course, is uh, vital for everyone's day-to-day lives. I'm joined now on the line by the B.C. Federation of Labor President, Laird Cronk. Laird, thank you so much for taking the time.
3: Uh, thanks for having me.
1: So I just wanted to start by getting you to maybe paint a picture of what we saw here earlier today. Around 10.30 this morning, there was a moment of silence that, silence that was held to pay tribute to those who have been lost uh, at the workplace here over the course of the past year. So I just wanted to uh, you know, start with that. How did that go this morning?
3: Thanks, Jeff. Look, every year, uh, April 28th, is a uh, seriously important day in the calendar for all working people, all British Columbians, and we honour... Um, those who have lost their lives or become uh, ill or injured in the workplace the year before. And this year, what we did uh, is an unusual year, of course, because of the COVID-19 crisis. We couldn't be together physically, so we did a virtual ceremony with uh, videos. We partnered with WCB and the BC Business Council and the Vancouver uh, District Labor Council, and we had a, a virtual ceremony for folks
1: and and how was that attended i mean obviously most people are probably used to having that in-person session but uh you know you tried to change things up this year how, how was the attendance uh
3: well we, we had a lot of feedback after i should say and i want to repeat here uh, as we did earlier today uh our our grief is shared and and we honor those who who did lose their lives last year there were 196 british Columbians who lost their lives because of work last year and, uh, and we want to bring our condolences to the family, the friends, the coworkers. I, In terms of today, we had a lot of feedback afterwards. Uh, surprising, I suppose, uh, in these odd times where you couldn't be together, but we did have uh, quite an uptake from folks who wouldn't normally be able to participate physically. So we received a lot of messages The folks that enjoyed the fact that they could actually virtually participate.
1: Now, you mentioned 196 individuals who, who lost their lives in the past year due to a, a workplace incident, which is, you know, one is far too many, and 196 is is way beyond numbers that I think uh, people would be comfortable with in, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, just how important do you think it is to remember those individuals who were lost? And, and you know, clearly we, we have to learn from the mistakes that were made in each of those individual cases to make sure things like that don't happen again.
3: Well, it's so incredibly important, health and safety in the workplace. Every worker, every worker in this province, in this country, uh, deserves to come home safe at the end of the day the way they went to work. And unfortunately, every year, uh, tragically, people lose their lives because of their jobs. So we not only mourn for the dead uh, on April 28th, but we do recommit to the living that are working. Uh, We recommit to occupational health and safety standards. We still have a long way to go, Jeff. We have... um, Uh, Things have uh, greatly improved, but, for example, asbestos is still uh, a problem for workers. They're still being exposed, and it can be be days, it can be weeks, months, or even years later that that manifests into a deadly disease, multiple deadly diseases. So uh, we need to recommit and continue to fight hard for all of those as we remember and honour those who lost their lives tragically.
1: And and just talking about, you know, those things where we look, you know, you mentioned asbestos is something that, you know, it feels like we've been trying to get rid of that stuff for a long time. And yet there are still uh, cases where where it is around and and the issues that can come with that. You mentioned days, weeks, years later, where we experience uh, or or see the effects of that. But uh, I also wanted to look at a problem, obviously, that's in our workplace right now in this uh, COVID-19 that we're dealing with. I mean, we're seeing cases, um, you know, popping up with the outbreaks and, you know, we saw the poultry facilities here in Vancouver. Vancouver here not too long ago. I mean, when we're looking at things like this, and, and, and we've seen the health minister talk about how important it is to not come into work sick, but it's something that I know a lot of people have trouble with. If I have the sniffles, so that's not usually a good enough reason for me to stay home for the day. But, you know, how, how much of, of an awareness do you think needs to come up right now in this particular time that we're dealing with to make sure that, you know, people aren't coming into work sick? Because it's not just about you, it's about everyone that you work with.
3: Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, these are these. There is no script or manual for this time. Here we are in this deadly disease, and and we need to follow the health or, um, provincial health officers' guidance. Like it's incredibly important that workers don't go to work uh, when they're sick. That they self isolate, and we didn't have protections for workers to stay home. You could be fired for uh, being away from work sick when this pandemic started, and I'm. Very pleased we called for and the government heard us and others change the legislation in British Columbia so that you cannot be fired uh, for not uh, for self-isolating and doing the right thing from the provincial health orders. But there are other factors, Jeff, and we need to make sure that workers don't end up in an untenable decision where there's no sick pay uh, from their employer and they... Um, and you know, or they're still worried that something might happen even with the legislation. So I think it's really important to change the culture to make sure workers have the protections they need to stay home. And it's not even a a business friendly model. Uh, at all for workers to come in sick. It never has been. And right now it's a deadly model. If if they come in, other workers get sick and other citizens get sick. And, and we need to work on this together. And we need every worker that's still at work. I'm so proud of our supply chain workers that are doing the hard work to, so that we can stay home and beat this thing. Uh, I'm honored by the work they do. And and uh, just they're incredible, and I think we need to make sure, absolutely make sure that they are all safe as well, have the proper PP, that they have the proper distancing, and that the, um, you know, the health and safety on their work sites needs to be stellar. And the employer has a responsibility there, uh, so does WCB and government, and uh, we need to keep our workers safe.
1: Well, Laird, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to come on and speak to me today. A very important day, I think, just to you know to, to commemorate those who, who have been lost on the job. But uh, more importantly, I think even even uh, moving forward, that we learn from those mistakes and make sure that those don't happen again. One death is too many, and 196, you mentioned, is just uh, beyond comprehensible almost for me. But uh, thank you so much for raising the awareness. Really do appreciate it, and, and thanks so much for doing this.
3: Thanks, Jeff. Uh, happy to be here and stay safe.
1: You as well. That's Laird Kronk, the president of the BC Federation of Labor. And yeah, just to reiterate one more time, if you are sick, stay home. I know uh, when I'm sitting around someone who uh, isn't feeling the best, it doesn't make for the most comfortable work setting. So uh, please, if you're you're sick, stay home. More important now uh, than ever before. Well, on that note, let's uh, wrap things up here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you joined me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time, While it lasted, have yourself a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll be back here tomorrow at noon.